You don't need me to tell you this, but we have been through some tough times recently. And we're still going through some tough times right now. And unfortunately, it doesn't feel like it's stopping anytime soon. It feels like the hits just keep on coming. Now that phrase previously referred to radio DJs playing the top music hits one after another. But now this phrase has sort of shifted to mean the problems that just keep on coming. Uh, maybe more like a boxing match when the hits from the other boxer just keep on coming. Now most of us have sort of asked with some measure of hope, but also not with big expectations, surely it's going to get better in 2022, right? However, what if it doesn't get better in 2022? What if the hits just keep on coming? And what do we do if the hits just keep on coming? Uh, what will happen to our faith if it doesn't get better this year? How do you and I maintain or grow our faith when it feels like problem after problem is coming our way? Because as difficult as life is right now, we have no promise that it's going to get better in 2022. However, we do have promises that we can hold on to. It's just that those promises that we have don't include the promise that 2022 is going to get better. But these promises are better because faith is best secured to actual promises, not possible outcomes. And being optimistic about 2022 is just that, a possible outcome. However, as Jesus followers, we have promises even better than misplaced optimism. And we looked at two of those promises last week. And number one was, God is with us especially in suffering. And this is sort of the storyline throughout the scriptures, that people who were suffering would call out to God because there was a basic understanding that God was with them, especially in their suffering. And then promise number two, God will make something good out of the suffering. And we get into trouble with this promise because we start thinking we know what good is. Uh, we also get into trouble because oftentimes we secure our faith to promises God didn't make, including the twist on this promise that God will make something good out of suffering. Uh, we sort of twist it to be God will deliver us from suffering. Now, sometimes delivering us from suffering is the good thing that God does, but many more times he brings something good through our suffering. And part of the problem is that uh, we're all prone to put our faith in things that weren't meant to hold us. How do we know that that is true? Uh, well, unfortunately, we know we are prone to put our faith in things that weren't meant to hold us, because when those things start to get ripped out of our hands and ripped away from us, and when our fingers get pried off of those things that we put our faith in or sort of built our life around, when that happens, we are left with nothing, including many people who are left with no faith. And for Christians, this reveals something about us, particularly one of the lies that we tend to believe. And one of the things that we sort of put our faith in that isn't necessarily true, if God is good, things will get better. If things don't get better, what does that mean about God? And the essence of this lie that we are tempted to believe is called the prosperity gospel. Now, I don't assume that everyone knows what that is, but this is a significant stream of Christians, of churches, of famous preachers in the world who have sort of been taught or who have taught people to believe that if you believe enough, things will get better. If you have enough faith, you will be healed. You will make the money. You will get the promotion. If God really is good, then things have to get better. Author Kate Buller says this, There's a little prosperity gospel in all of us. There's something in each of us, uh, those of us who have been following Jesus for a while, uh, those who are new to faith, those who call ourselves Jesus followers, and those who don't, that there's something inside of all of us that sort of thinks, if there is a God and He is good, then things will get better. 
that we love the idea of up and to the right. And as Americans, we've sort of grown accustomed to it. Uh, many of us feel entitled to it. Uh, another way to look at it is this. Is my faith dependent on an up and to the right kind of life? And sure, it's easy to have faith when everything is up and to the right, uh, when things are improving financially, uh, when your health is good, when your career is moving where you want it to go, uh, when relationships are working the way you want them to. Life is easier and faith is easier when everything is up and to the right. But as we all know, and as this season has reminded some of us, life isn't always like that. And so we need to make sure our faith is secure to the promises that God actually made rather than just possible outcomes. And on top of that, in times of suffering, the prosperity gospel can sort of lead us to wonder if God is still working because we don't see him working the ways that we thought he would, which if we can't find an answer for that, can sort of quickly lead us to doubting and walking away from faith altogether. And one of the things that I want coming out of this season is a pandemic-proof faith. And it seems like we sort of have a global pandemic once a century, so I'm not hoping there will be another pandemic in my lifetime. But if we look at the last similarly destructive global pandemic, the 1918 influenza, it came during World War I, followed by the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl, and then World War II. Hit after hit after hit kept coming. That I want to have a faith that can endure a pandemic and make it through to the next hit and the next difficult season. And we're going to pick up the story that we started last week. And if you missed last week, no worries. We're going to quickly catch you up. But you're invited to watch or listen to that message later this week. And the story includes Paul and a colleague named Silas. And when we look at their story, we learn a promise that seemed really evident in their life. That God will make something good out of suffering. And this is what God does because it is who God is. Now this is different from the prosperity gospel in a few ways. But one of the most significant ways is that good doesn't have to be our good. It might be your neighbor's good. It might be another generation's good. It might be someone's good who's halfway around the world. Also, God's work of making good out of suffering is not dependent on our level of faith or really anything that we do. God will make something good out of suffering because that is what God does and who he is. We're going to continue reading in Acts chapter 16. You can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to Bible.com app. And once you're in the app, you can head to the More menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. This story with Paul and Silas, it really goes from one extreme to the other. And it starts with this girl who was following Paul and Silas and repeating this true phrase, but repeating it over and over again. These men are the servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Verse 18, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Basically, whatever that spirit is that's within you, Paul would say, that's helping you predict the future, be gone. And this fortune-telling spirit left this girl, and so this girl was free. But that left the people who were profiting from this fortune-telling girl, that left them with less income and therefore that left them angry. And so those people had Paul and Silas arrested. And then the Roman government had Paul and Silas beaten and then thrown into jail. Verse 24. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. And the jailer clamped or secured their feet to the foundation of this jail that they're in. Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
and the other prisoners were listening. That this was a dark season for Paul and Silas, and there were people paying attention. And the same can be true for us as well, that when we go through a dark season, other people are watching and listening to us. That we pay attention to the people going through a dark season, right? Uh, Because in reality, we are far less impacted by the lives that are always up and to the right. Uh, Maybe because we have a hard time relating to them or our perception of them. We can't understand what their life is like. It's it's sort of why celebrities, when they're going through a difficult season, uh, we can feel more connected to them. That we're interested in what's going on because not everything is going up and to the right for them anymore. And when Paul and Silas were struggling and suffering in one of their dark moments, when they were singing and praying, there were people watching and listening to them. And we have that same opportunity right now. That what happens in this story next is really quite dramatic. Verse 26, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. And if you know the story, uh, you know it comes right after this. But I want us to pause here for a moment uh, because of all the regions in our country, those of us in California right now should understand this, that the destruction that likely happened when this earthquake happened, it, it shouldn't be overlooked. And so before we sort of move on to the next part of this verse, let's not rush past another hit for Paul and Silas. And it's kind of interesting, that, uh, kind of interesting analogy that the foundations of the jail were shaken when that is exactly what Paul and Silas were secured to. And yet in our lives, this is often what happens to us. We experience suffering through seasons where it feels like it won't stop, and the foundation that we have secured our life to is shaken like an earthquake. And so with what we're going through with this COVID surge and maybe other events in your personal life, what are you securing your life to? Have you secured your life to, surely it will get better? How has that been shaken? Uh, Clay Scroggins says this, Suffering shifts the tectonic plates underneath the foundations of our faith, revealing where we have really put our faith. And suffering will do that. It's sort of undeniable and unavoidable. But it's also another pandemic word. It seems to be essential to what God uses to teach us about who he is. Continuing the story about Paul and Silas in verse 26, Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Now this seemed like great news for the prisoners, but as this is happening, we are reminded of the jailer, the person who put Paul and Silas in the inner dungeon and secured their feet to the the jail foundation. Verse 27, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. Now this would have been an incredibly jarring thing to wake up to as a jailer in the Roman Empire. Uh, He was not just thinking about how he was in trouble, but he was likely going to be executed because the prisoners could escape. Continuing on, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, and so he drew his sword to kill himself. Now, interestingly, if Paul and Silas escaped, many of us would have given credit to God for getting them out of the prison. And in several ways, Paul and Silas escaping the prison when they were unjustly thrown into the prison seems just, and what Paul and Silas actually deserved. And conversely, the jailer is getting what he deserves because he signed up to be a jailer with the Roman government. And yet, it is likely Paul was thinking something quite different because of several things that he wrote about getting what we deserve. That Paul would say that he didn't deserve anything from God. He didn't deserve a new life or a second chance. He didn't deserve the grace of God. Paul would say this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. 
Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Instead of getting what I deserve, Paul would say, God gave me something I didn't deserve. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Grace means your mistakes now serve a greater purpose. That of all the reasons that the hits just keep on coming, including that it was maybe your fault, that you did something to deserve it, those mistakes and reasons, they now serve a greater purpose. Instead of those mistakes serving up more shame, they can actually give us a mission. That grace has a way of sort of changing our perspective in those situations. That when we receive grace, we are set up to do something unfathomable, extend grace to others. And because Paul received grace before this prison scene, he was now able to extend grace to others, including this jailer. Here's how, verse 27. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We are all here! And we could have left, but we didn't, and so don't harm yourself. And this grace that Paul showed the jailer would have quite an amazing impact on him. Verse 29, The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. The jailer is stunned by the grace that Paul and Silas have shown him. Like, why would you not escape? And just when we might be tempted to think that Paul and Silas missed their opportunity to escape, the jailer's response is exactly what those of us who are Jesus followers want for the people around us. And yet our natural inclination is not to respond to the opportunities the same way that Paul and Silas did. However, because Paul and Silas didn't take this opportunity for themselves, here is how the jailer responds. Verse 30, Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That Paul and Silas saved this man from execution or suicide, and yet the jailer knows he still needs to be saved. Uh, maybe because the jailer wouldn't have done what Paul and Silas did. Maybe because the jailer overheard Paul and Silas praying and singing. Maybe because the jailer notices something different about Paul and Silas. Either way, the jailer wants what Paul and Silas have. And as much as we might want to empath uh, emphasize rather or highlight Paul and Silas sort of having the opportunity to be freed from prison, we should emphasize and highlight this jailer asking how to have a relationship with a loving God. Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. Basically, secure your faith in Jesus, who he is and what he did, his resurrection from the dead. And we don't know what this jailer secured his faith to before this interaction, but like all of us, he secured it to something. Uh, maybe his status with the empire, maybe the perceived security that that brought him, maybe something else. But Paul and Silas invite him to secure his faith to Jesus. And then the scene quickly shifts to the jailer's house, verse 32. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. And then something rather strange happens, verse 33. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds, which is pretty amazing because possibly the jailer caused some of Paul and Silas's wounds. And many times God allows us to give grace to others through our deepest hurts when we needed and received grace. That even at the hour of that night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Right there at the house at that hour of the night. And this baptism represented the life change that they were experiencing right then. 
Now, not too many hours removed from some of Silas and Paul's greatest pain, which this jailer was at least a little bit connected to, you know, securing Paul and Silas in a dungeon. And then this jailer was actually about to kill himself, but the jailer experienced grace, something he didn't deserve from Paul and Silas. And that miraculous moment of mercy and grace led to this miraculous moment of them being baptized, uh, baptizing the very man who had them put in jail just a few hours before this. Verse 34, he brought them into his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Another translation says they were filled with joy, and joy is really our natural response to grace, that when someone shows us grace or we experience grace from God, it leads us to joy. Now, all of this points us to our main point today, and really two applications. Grace is God working even when we don't see him. And it's sort of similar to saying God is giving grace even when we're suffering. God is working even when you can't see what he's doing. Because later, Paul would describe God telling him in 2 Corinthians 12, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That God gives me stability even in the middle of hard times. And this grace really uh, sort of comes down to simply giving and receiving. How can we give grace when the hits just keep on coming? How can we receive grace when the hits just keep on coming? Because, remember, the Jesus way is that when we receive grace, we are set up to extend grace to others. So have you received God's grace in your life? And if not, what is keeping you from receiving his grace? Uh, maybe the grace that you need to receive is sort of a different perspective on suffering. Uh, maybe to relate differently to the same people or to connect with different people. Uh, maybe you need to receive God's grace to remind you to rely on him when the hits just keep on coming. And then the other side of that, how can you give grace to those around you? How can you respond like Paul and Silas, not taking an opportunity that would benefit you, but giving an opportunity so that the other person could benefit? How can you give someone what they don't deserve? Maybe a second chance or forgiveness. That grace is God working even when we don't see him. And I think part of the reason that we might not see him is because we can only see other people. We are the ones receiving and giving grace. And so for us to see God, we have to receive and give his grace. That God was working through Paul and Silas who received grace to be able to give grace to this jailer. And for this jailer to then receive God's grace as well. And just like he wants to work through you to receive his grace and then to be able to give his grace to others. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this story of Paul and Silas and uh, really how it sort of demonstrates that the hits do keep on coming, not just for everyday people, not just for people who don't follow you, but for people who follow you, that the hits just keep on coming in this life and, and we're not promised by you that we won't experience suffering. In fact, you tell us that when we experience suffering, we will know that you're with us. So God, for those of us who are continuing to go through this and, and we just aren't really sure what to do, would you help us to look at this idea of receiving and giving grace? That maybe in this season, we have an opportunity to receive grace, to, to, to receive your grace, to see suffering differently. Or maybe just to receive your grace, to, to put our hope and trust in you to get us through this difficult time. Uh, maybe for others of us, we can find ways of giving your grace to other people, of just giving grace through food or donations or, or helping people in their time of need. God, whatever we might be in that boat of, of whatever perspective of, of receiving or giving grace, would you help us to do that right now? 
Would you help us to express to you our desire to receive your grace? Or would you help us to express our desire to give grace? Would you give us the opportunities? Would you help us to see the opportunities that are before us? God, we know that you'll continue to be with us, and we need you to continue to be with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.